All right, we're back. I was able to round up Peter Todd. Peter, how's it going? All right. And I'm sorry, the name is? Claudia Diaz. Claudia. Yep. And can you give your background real quick? Yeah, so I am a professor at the University of Leuven, and I work mainly on anonymous communication systems. I, I did my PhD on Mixnet, and I've been working on privacy in the last 20 years. So uh, I guess first question is why, why I mean, the you know, the, the easy question, why is privacy important? Why is it, uh, why should we be working on these technologies that help preserve privacy uh, for purposes of communication and value transfer? All right, so, I mean, I would say that in a way information is power. So when you're giving away your information, you're giving power to other people about yourself. And this might have negative consequences down the line as they might be able to use that information in, for things that are against your interests. So basically, we, are, we have a, an internet infrastructure that is very much not privacy preserving, meaning that it exposes a lot of information when we're doing things uh, online. And that means that uh, a lot of actors are able to collect this information and we don't know for which purposes they might be able to use it. So that is actually very problematic. So uh, this is a common question on the show, uh, this being the Monero show. Uh, we're constantly kind of uh, comparing ourselves to uh, Bitcoin, right? Uh, the 1,000-pound gorilla in the room. Uh, Bitcoin uh, certainly isn't private. It's built on, uh, you know, it, it uses a transparent ledger. It's the opposite of private. Uh, but it's kind of sold as this crypto anarchist tool that's, gonna, that's going to help us uh, achieve these things that you spoke about. Uh, I asked this question to both of you. Do you think that's kind of a fundamental flaw with Bitcoin? Or do you think that's something we should be worried about? I think it's a fundamental trade-off. You know, when you look at Zcash in Monero, both of them have had bugs with potential inflation that could have destroyed the currency because the supply wouldn't be limited. And, you know, Bitcoin, reality is it is much less private. But if you're trying to preserve value and, you know, keep it safe for a long period of time, like it or not, it's a lot safer on Bitcoin because of the transparency, because any, you know, drunk fine arts grad like myself could go and audit the chain fully and figure out if inflation had happened. Then something like Monero, you know, Zcash or them or Blockstream's a liquid product with confidential transactions where you just can't audit it without hoping that the math works. Can you repeat the question, please? Uh, basically saying, so, you know, Bitcoin is fundamentally transparent. It's not private. It doesn't have, uh, it's, it's, it's also not fungible. Uh, or you, I don't know, you may, you may re want to retort to that. Um, so is, is that a problem, right? Because this, this technology is kind of being sold as uh, this, this crypto anarchist tool that could be used to kind of preserve our individuality uh, by allowing us to transfer things without censorship. Meanwhile, it's it's not private. Yeah, I do think there is there is a danger of a false sense of security in a way that people might take actions believing that they have more privacy than they do, and that might they might take risks that they wouldn't otherwise take if they had a better understanding of their actual level of protection. So I definitely think this is problematic. Um, I also think that the fact that this ledger is transparent and out there um, means that even if some attacks have not yet been deployed yet, they might be deployed in the future to de-anonymize further past transactions. So yeah, definitely, I do think that should be a concern. So are you then excited about Bitcoin 
for its crypto anarchist ideals or do you think it, it will live up to those? I mean, uh, a scenario where entire world is using Bitcoin and it's a transparent ledger. Uh, is that kind of a dystopia or is that a, a utopia? Oh, wow. Well, I think the, what's most interesting about Bitcoin is that it has opened the possibility of having a functioning financial system that runs on this kind of system. Now, I am not sure Bitcoin uh, is, Bitcoin is kind of the first mover uh, and that makes it like a very exciting project because it opens this possibility. Um, but uh, whether Bitcoin is going to be the technology that survives for the future and creates this utopian or dystopian future, I am not so sure. Um, yeah. I think it's important to remember, though, it's not possible for the entire world to be on a transparent ledger with, you know, Bitcoin-like decentralism. It, you know, the tech just can't do that. You, The only way you can scale this type of tech is by adding privacy. Because the reason why it doesn't scale is because everyone has all the data. You know, to scale this better, you must make things more private. Now, does this mean having really good privacy, like, say, Zcash could in theory? No. But it has to be more private. And this is why things like Lightning offer interesting in-betweens where Lightning is certainly vulnerable to many types of attacks against its privacy. But by default, it is relatively good privacy. And if it didn't, it wouldn't scale. I mean, that, that's interesting because, I mean, most people, especially when they look at Monero, they say privacy comes at a cost, right? So Monero is kind of a heavier, heavier chain. Privacy only comes at a cost when you use privacy techniques that come at a cost. Monero happens to use a technique that comes at a cost. But in general, privacy comes at a benefit, which is things so scale. It's just that, you know, most privacy techniques don't work that way. Most privacy techniques are things like, you know, Zcash where you suddenly have these very expensive transactions that take a lot of time to verify and a lot of time to make, you know, or where the transactions are pretty fast to verify, but they're very big. But, you know, that's not inherent. I mean, Lightning, the marginal cost of a transaction is zero for everyone and it has excellent privacy, provided that you're not being, say, subject to spying or so on. You know, you're not, say, transacting with a Lightning node that's collecting your details. And that's sort of an information theoretical type of privacy where the information actually isn't there versus a mathematical type of privacy where the math guarantees that you can't decode it. So, uh, so if, I might, if I might add to that, I, I do think privacy comes at a cost, actually. I kind of disagree with that. And the reason is that you do things without thinking about privacy, you do things the simplest, the straightforward way, you will not have privacy. So, so to have a system that protects privacy, you will have to do some, you have to take additional precautions. And these additional precautions will typically add elements to your system that you wouldn't need if you didn't care about privacy. I disagree with you. And the reason is because systems like Bitcoin, the scalability is so bad that you have to add privacy to have a system that works. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think in general, you're absolutely correct. It's just things like Bitcoin are a weird exception due to low-level technical reasons. You know, if Bitcoin didn't have the scalability issue, you'd be absolutely correct. But I think it is a weird special case. But hold on, because I think Bitcoin, you could make Bitcoin more scalable without adding privacy, right? No. So, no? Not if it's a decentralized system. If it's a centralized system, oh, yeah, absolutely. You could have, you know, five Visa servers running all of Bitcoin. But that's not Bitcoin. That's Visa. 
And even Visa has much better privacy against many types of attackers. Like, do you know how many Visa transactions I did in the past month? I don't. How many did you do? <laughs> so wait, but 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 if you wanted to make it private on a protocol level, now you're ma now it's becoming a heavier heavier technology. I mean, if you were going to implement confidential transactions, for example. But again, that's related to the specific techniques you use. But if all your goal is, is to make Bitcoin decentralized in scale, you have no choice but to improve the privacy. And I, I think this is an interesting point from the point of view of like regulators and stuff. Privacy has to exist for things to go scale in the financial world. They may not like it, and they don't even like it in the current financial system. They don't like that they can't instantly get a copy of every Visa transaction ever without having to actually go ask Visa and get a copy. They would much rather have magical infinitely scalable ledgers where it's, everything was available to everyone but that just can't happen so how about how about today we're talking about kind of a hypothetical future here where somehow bitcoin becomes uh more private and fungible um today what what is the best form of digital cash today what are your requirements uh digital cash so something that's that that you can send transactions digitally peer-to-peer where every unit equals every other unit. It's perfectly fungible. But it, the problem is... So is anything close to that? And, and which one is? If you just want to do payments, and all you care about is being able to go pay, in theory, something like Zcash is probably pretty good. However, if people actually use it on a big scale, it would collapse. So I'm not sure I can actually say that's the right answer there. I think if you want something that people could realistically use in very large numbers in the near future... It's actually Bitcoin with Lightning, but that's only because of your technical requirements. If all you want to do is like put a bunch of gold in the in a vault and you don't want to lose it, well, maybe it's Bitcoin again. If you're willing to lose it due to a crypto failure, maybe it's Zcash again. You know, maybe it's Monero. Like, there is no one size fits all here. I agree that it, it would have to be a very precise definition of better to really be able to, to produce an answer that is... Uh, well, I mean, I, I, I just look at the real practical use cases today. I mean, you look at the dark markets, for example. I mean, I would think most people, if they're smart, would be using Monero. Maybe you disagree with that. Um, if you had a... If you receive Bitcoins today and they were from a, a recent hack, or would you, would you accept those coins, those blacklisted coins? Uh, as opposed to if I sent you a Monero transaction where you didn't, you wouldn't even have to consider whether where those Monero came from because there's they're just fungible. That's that's what I mean by digital cash today. Uh, and where Zcash is opt in, uh, it's not private by default. So obviously, I lean towards Monero. Uh, Peter, what's your overall opinion of Monero? Well, you know, uh, again, to kind of answer your question there. If someone sent me coins from a recent theft, I mean, I'd be okay with that in Bitcoin because currently it's fungible enough. It is much more fungible than it should be technically due to social reasons, but I'd probably be fine. Whereas if I thought this was a big issue, I'd probably rather have Zcash, assuming I was willing to hold it for a while, because the you know the KNMD set on Zcash is in theory all prior you know all prior coins between when the attacker thought you sold and when the attacker thought you bought but in practice because monero actually gets used chances are i'd be all right with monero if i wasn't thinking too hard about it but it's complex 
how about the uh, the communities themselves? Lots. Uh, what one of the reasons, or another reason, why I'm a big Monero fan is just because kind of the ethos of Monero uh, is to create digital cash, right? Uh, fungible money. Uh, Zcash seems to be okay with being private sometimes, not always being private. Uh, do you think that's important kind of element to trying to figure out which one of these coins will act like digital cash in the future by actually looking at the kind of community and what the community really wants? So I know more about the technology itself than about the communities in that I'm pretty new to this uh, cryptocurrency world. So I haven't been following all these blogs and, uh, you know, discussions and I, I don't actually know the communities. But uh, when it comes to the technology, your previous question was, what, what do you think about Monero? I think it's a very interesting design. I am, however, uh, a little bit concerned about the actual anonymity sets that are achieved if all the information that is available on-chain is really kind of processed in a smart way. So I'm actually very interested in kind of uh, having a better understanding, seeing a better understanding of what actually are the anonymity sets when uh, the system is under adversarial conditions. Can I ask the Monero community to go adopt ZK Snarks? I think that they would they would they would love to. I, I mean, quite, like quite seriously, the Monero community I like. I mean, they seem honest. They you know represent their coin accurately. The Zcash community scares me because they do not represent the technical qualities of coin accurately. You know, I mean, just the other day I saw a tweet from uh, one of the people on Zcash, but how, well, you know, I mean, even Bitcoin could have inflation bugs, and that's just not accurate. Any idiot can go and look through the Bitcoin chain and find inflation. To go say that's comparable to a Zcash-like thing where you really got to understand the math of any hope of catching a mistake is just not an accurate statement to make, and it's misleading. And even though that tech is quite good, I would many ways rather have a community that's honest and accurately represents what their tech can do, because at least I know how good what I'm getting actually is. Yeah, I think that that's certainly one of the things uh, the Monero community is good at, which is uh, kind of self-skepticism as well, and really kind of looking hard at what it is and uh, trying to be honest of what it actually can and cannot do. Um, yeah, these these are great, uh, great responses. I guess uh, one other question, do you have an opinion on, I mean, whenever I talk to a Bitcoin maximalist, the ultimate argument, and you kind of touched upon this a little bit in the beginning, was this, uh, you can't be perfectly binding and perfectly blinding, right? So uh, Monero, Monero is perfectly blinding and Bitcoin is perfectly binding. Do you think that's that's a, a major hurdle that Monero needs to get over? Is that uh, a fundamental flaw? Why can't you have both? And by both, I mean have two separate systems with different you know, use cases and different capabilities. The one argument I'd say as a maximalist and I'll point out, I'm not a Bitcoin maximalist. I'm a maximalist. I'm just a normal, boring, you know, guy with normal economic education. That recognizes Certainly not like, boring. Well, I mean, like my economic education tells me very clearly having a smaller number of currencies is more efficient than a larger number. So I would rather see something like add-ons to Bitcoin where you could go take your Bitcoins and move it off into something with opt-in can and newbie sets like Monero. On the other hand, even more than that, I'd rather have a magical U.S. dollar that you could go digitize, but that's just never going to happen. So, yeah, I, I am. I, uh, with, with respect to opt-ins, 
I tend to think that leaving it to the users to make security decisions is not always wise. Sometimes you just need to build the infrastructure in a way that it will provide that protection with people without having to expect people to turn switches on or make choices to actually be private. So I do prefer to have a privacy by default kind of um, approach uh, to opt-ins. <laughs> I mean, I agree with you, but I just don't think the tech's ready enough. You know, we're going to have to wait another 25 years or 20 years, whatever it takes for inflation bugs to stop happening. You know, when, when, we, when we're in a position where we haven't seen inflation bugs for 10 years or something, that's when you start thinking, all right, we might as well go opt-in by default because the risk is low enough. But we're just not there yet. All right, that was great. Thank you, guys. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, guys. That was awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Peter.